This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, an Appalachian Indian word meaning old town or abandoned fields. Now, in the Muscogee language, Tallahassee is a combination of two words that mean old, rancid, tribal town. Funny how some things never change. Today on Sunrise, a brand new drive to get Florida leaders to face up to the issue of climate change, a phrase that used to be forbidden in state government. Donald Trump is coming to Florida to talk about Medicare in the GOP bastion called The Villages. It's a popular destination for Republicans because they always get a warm reception, but some senior advocates say they'll be calling out the president over what they call his broken promises to protect Medicare. A legal battle over a constitutional amendment to open up the Florida primary system is heating up. We'll be talking with one of the key players behind the campaign to let all voters vote, not just Democrats and Republicans. Sad news if you're a fan of public spectacle. After 39 years of floats and pageantry, they are putting the squeeze on the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. We'll also have your daily calendar events, plus a special installment of Florida Man, featuring a voice you normally hear on National Public Radio. And now, the top stories for Sunrise on Thursday, October 3rd. Here's something that would have been unthinkable just one year ago. A summit on climate change in the Sunshine State. During the Rick Scott years, it was one of those subjects no one talked about because, frankly, it didn't fit with the administration's political narrative. They didn't even use the phrase climate change. But Florida's new agriculture commissioner says those days are done. Climate crisis is going to be the challenge of our generation, one that I know that we are going to step up and we are going to fix and we are going to turn the tide on this because we have no choice. The children of our state and of our country in the future of our state depend on us being forward-thinking leaders and stepping up to the plate and making sure that we are not going to be blind to what is happening around us. Commissioner Nikki Freed was your lead-off speaker at the Florida Energy and Climate Summit in Tampa, and she says the state has to step up its game because the feds are still in a state of denial. That's why I'm announcing the launching of FACE, Florida Advisory Council on Climate and Energy, because it is time to face the facts of energy and climate. Wet or wet, dry or dries, higher temperatures are reshaping our land, our water, and our cities. And meanwhile, our federal government has left us stranded and has turned our backs on us. We've left the Paris Climate Agreement, our leadership continues to skip climate meetings with other global leaders, and we've rolled back rules on greenhouse gases. Freed says Florida needs to become a leader in responding to climate change because it has more at stake than any other state. No other state in the union faces a greater threat of climate change than the state of Florida. We face the largest threat of coastal flooding. That's 3.5 million of our Floridians that are at risk every single time that we have a big rainstorm. And we are also the largest state with threat of heat and extreme heat in 2050. I can't tell you how many times over the course of the summer, and I'm sure you're experiencing this too, where people keep saying, I don't remember it being so hot last year. That's because the climate is changing, and that is an impact that we are seeing every single summer. We are facing greater threats of hurricanes. We see that every year. We got hit by Michael last year, which devastated our panhandle. We had the threat of Dorian this year. And we know that these threats of huge hurricanes is going to continue to come every single year. We have more droughts, more floods, 
seas level rising, and of course, wildfires. Freed is holding a press conference this morning along with Congresswoman Kathy Castor, Congressman Charlie Crist, and State Representative Margaret Good to unveil what the commissioner calls an ambitious policy package to make strides in renewable energy, agricultural resilience, climate change, and energy efficiency. Donald Trump returns to North Central Florida today. The president will stop in the villages to talk about his health care agenda. Word is he'll be speaking about Medicare, the federal program that provides health care for seniors. He'll also be signing an executive order on Medicare while he's in Central Florida. Trump's visit to the villages was originally scheduled for August, but was delayed after mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton. A coalition of senior advocates, meanwhile, along with local Democratic leaders, say they'll call out the president's broken promises on Medicare ahead of his event in the villages. That's happening at 9.30 at the Sumter Democratic Executive Committee in Wildwood. Say goodbye to Orlando's Citrus Parade. They're shutting it down after 39 years. The parade featured high school marching bands from across the country and was known for floats decorated with oranges, grapefruits, tangerines. It was part of the pageantry that took place before what was once known as the Tangerine Bowl that later became the Florida Citrus Bowl. The sponsor of the parade, Florida Citrus Sports, says the decision to end the parade was made with a heavy heart, but they can no longer justify the investment based on the level of return delivered for the community. Up next on Sunrise, a conversation with Glenn Burhans, who chairs a group backing a constitutional amendment called All Voters Vote. Turns out both of the major political parties have a problem with that. We'll tell you why right after this. Florida is a great place to live and do business. Let's keep it that way by supporting the Florida Competitive Workforce Act. Legislators can do the right thing. To remain competitive globally, we must be a welcoming state for everyone to live, work, and play. 11 Fortune 500 companies, 35 major employers, and hundreds of small businesses support the act. And 68% agree it's wrong to discriminate in employment, public housing, and accommodations. Go to floridacompetes.org. Tell your legislator to hear the Florida Competitive Workforce Act. Welcome back to Sunrise. Florida is one of only 14 states that use what is known as a closed primary, which means you can only vote in the GOP or Democratic primary if you're registered within that party. Trouble is that disenfranchises 136,000 Floridians who are registered with minor parties, and more importantly, 3.6 million Floridians who are classified as NPA, no party affiliation. Glenn Burhans wants to change that. He's with a group called All Voters Vote. And tell me why that's a problem, Glenn. It's a problem because 28% of registered voters are excluded from primary elections, meaning they have no voice in some of the most important elections that we have because oftentimes the primary election is going to determine the general election result. And your amendment would change that in what way? Well, it does um, two things primarily. First, it creates a, um, a primary where all voters regardless of their political party affiliation or lack of affiliation, vote in the primary for governor, legislature, and cabinet. And it also places all of the candidates for those offices, the respective offices, on the same ballot that the voters can choose from, also regardless of the candidate's party affiliation or lack of affiliation. From there, uh, the top two vote getters in that primary will advance to the general election. And of course, both of the political parties absolutely hate this, right? They're very fearful of letting all voters vote, apparently. What do you think the problem is there? Just protecting their own turf? They are. It, it's a turf battle. It, it's a little bit maybe fear of the unknown for them because they think they're going to lose power. Actually, I think this will help empower not only voters, but the parties who embrace this system and start speaking to a greater swath of voters in the primary elections. Okay. I remember one of the claims they made in opposing this is that you could end up with two candidates from the same party 
in the general election by having this giant primary. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think it's a good thing when you consider that you get those two candidates in the general because all of the voters voted in the primary. And so you had the greatest number of people having a say. And if two people from the same party got the highest number of votes, well, then under a democracy, they deserve to be in the general election. Okay. And now the legal documents have been filed. The Supreme Court is, I believe, is the venue. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. So to get an amendment on the, on the ballot, you have to go through the Supreme Court, which applies a, a test on two legal issues. And if they approve it, it goes on the ballot. If they don't approve it, you're done. Okay. And they're looking at single subject. Yes. And how do you counter the argument that this violates the single subject? Well, I haven't seen a very particular strong argument out of any of the parties that filed opposition briefs. As a matter of fact, the attorney general didn't make a single subject argument at all. Um, this doesn't violate single subject because it addresses one thing, conducting primary elections regardless of the, voter, uh, the voters' affiliation and the candidates' affiliation. And that's it. That's the only thing that this addresses. So that's, we did a deep dive on this. We've been studying this issue for over four years now. And we chose this system particularly because we knew not only do we have to pass muster with the voters, we have to pass a constitutional review if somebody were to challenge it later on, but we also have to get past the Supreme Court. So we had the single subject test in mind, and we also had the second part of the test, which goes to whether or not- Clear the, and unambiguous. Exactly. Does it explain what the amendment actually does? Right. And does it? It does. I, I think it's very clear. If you, if you look at the ballot summary, it tells you exactly what's going to happen. All voters are going to vote in those primaries, regardless of their affiliation. All candidates who qualify for the office appear on the ballot, regardless of affiliation. You have the election and the top two go on. And it also notes that you can still have party-nominated candidates. Now, they can do that on their own dime and on their own time. The parties can no longer, if all voters vote is adopted, exclude 3.7 million voters from their private elections and have taxpayers pay for it. What do you think this will do to the political system in Florida if it passes? Honestly, I think it makes it more healthy because the idea is, and what we've seen around the country where this has been adopted, it has a more moderating influence. It tones down the rhetoric. It tones down the heat. And it requires candidates and politicians seeking election to speak to the greatest number of voters. So they can't just hide in their silos or their little private party bubbles. They've got to get out. They've got to appeal to more people and be listening to and responsive to those folks. Gotcha. Now, of course, I don't know how to, a better way to say this, but in all the years I've been covering the legislature, it seems like there are very few competitive races. We all know who's coming back before the elections even begin. Does this change that? Yes. And that's why this is critical, because like you say, a lot of those races are decided in the primary. In a closed party primary state like Florida, that means a very small sliver of the electorate is deciding those races. In many of those districts, the, the number of, of minor, minority party voters and the number of NPA voters are greater than the number of voters in the majority party. So and you're having the minority of folks select who gets to win the elections. That's not right. I got you. And of course, getting a constitutional amendment on the ballot is no easy task, but you're almost there, aren't you? Well, so there are two steps. Number-wise. Number-wise, we're there. Yeah. Correct. You need 766,200. We've gathered over a million. We've got over 700,000 certified. We're about 60,000 away from hitting the number. 
So all you have to do is get past the Supreme Court and then bingo, it's on the ballot. It, well, that's right. Gotcha. Well, Glenn, thanks for joining us today. And I suspect we'll be spending a lot more time in the next few months talking about this as the legal battle unfolds. Thank you. On the agenda today, the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission wraps up a two-day meeting at the Radisson Resort in Cape Canaveral. Palm Beach County's legislative delegation meets in advance of the 2020 session. That's at 9 a.m. in West Palm Beach. The Public Service Commission will consider a plan to increase the construction of underground power lines. That's at 9.30 at PSC headquarters in Tallahassee. The state Supreme Court is scheduled to release opinions. That's at 11 a.m. A town hall meeting will be hosted by Democratic State Representative Javier Fernandez on housing issues and affordability. That's taking place at 7 p.m. in Miami. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi travels to Broward County today to talk about efforts to peacefully transition to democracy in Venezuela. She'll be joined by four other members of Congress, including three from South Florida. House Democrats are trying to pass a bill extending temporary protected status to refugees from Venezuela who face starvation, violence, and persecution under the regime of Nicolas Maduro. More than 200,000 Floridians live in the Sunshine State, most of them in South Florida. The Community Dialogue on Venezuelan Democracy runs from 2 till 4 this afternoon at the Bonaventure Town Center Club in Weston. And time now for the continuing adventures of Florida Man. But today, a very special treat, a guest storyteller. His name is Scott Horsley, and he's the chief economics correspondent and former White House reporter for National Public Radio. Horsley also spent time working in the Tampa radio market, where he covered Florida Man stories before anyone had even coined the phrase. My all-time favorite Florida story involved an elderly gentleman who got into an argument with his much younger girlfriend in the parking lot of the strip club where she worked as an exotic dancer. Things got heated. He reached into his jacket for a gun, pointed it in her direction and, and squeezed the trigger. Luckily for her, the bullet hit her silicone breast implant and was deflected harmlessly away. So she was fine. But this story, you know, it had a senior citizen, it had a stripper, and it had a gun. I usually say if it had had an alligator, it would have been the quintessential Florida story. But since I'm in Tallahassee, I'll say if it had a Seminole, it would have been the quintessential Florida story. Horsley was at Florida State University to talk about the challenges of reporting in an environment where people not only disagree on the issues, they don't agree on fundamental facts. We'll hear that later this week, but frankly, the stripper story just couldn't wait. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics.